Father, we come to you and we ask for your wisdom. The wisdom that Paul gave Timothy, we ask that you would just impute that to us, that we would have the understanding of what he was going through and what he was dealing with at the time and why Paul communicated the way he did. We know that you were able to give us insight into these things, and we pray that you would, Lord. We pray that you would enlighten us even more. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the Grecian Olympic Games, there was wrestling and running and fighting and first corinthians 9 talks about the games like running the race and fighting like a man who beats the areas a man doesn't do that and why does paul use these metaphors well before we go into that completely we know by review that false doctrine connected with the pursuit of wealth paul said uh, for timothy to avoid that as well as false doctrine and false teachers and The love of money, all of that, Paul said to avoid. And I left off with verse 11 of chapter 6. And it says, but you, man of God, flee all this and pursue righteousness. Uh, In other words, do and be what is right. Godliness, holiness and purity. Faith, which is belief. Love, endurance. This means patient continuance and gentleness. Those are the things that... Timothy was instructed to pursue or dedicate himself to. Now, our default settings, and I talked about those default settings a week or two ago, our default settings are unrighteousness, ungodliness, unbelief, hate, weakness, and harshness. That's what we want to defer ourselves to. And it is a struggle that we will all engage in as believers, but we will all fail when the Holy Spirit convicts us of these sins. We need to seek forgiveness and continue in the pursuit of being the people of God. It's like when somebody rides a bike, they get on the bike, eventually they're going to fall down. They're going to get hurt, but get back up on the bike and go ahead and ride the bike again or riding a horse. You're going to fall off a horse eventually if you ride it enough and you're supposed to get back up on the horse and continue to go. These things that we are, uh, pursue in the flesh, those things which are unrighteousness, ungodliness, unbelief, hate, weakness, and harshness, we will all fall to that at some particular point. And God says, okay, ask for forgiveness, get back up and continue on the path just like he instructed Timothy to do. So here, Paul, he is, a, I believe, a sports enthusiast. I, I bet he was probably even a runner. I bet he would like to discuss the games, especially running, because he uses that metaphor so much. I'm going to give you several examples where Paul does this in Hebrews 12.1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In Philippians 2.16, he says, As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal of the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So when you're running, you're pressing forward. I don't know how much running you guys have done. I've done my share of running, and there comes a time where you're pressing forward. It's becoming difficult, but you just keep on going forward and in galatians chapter 2 verse 2 it says i went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that i preach among the gentiles but i did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that i was running or had run my race in vain galatians 5 7 you were running a good race and he goes on to talk about who cut in on you when you were running this good race because that happens with runners have you ever seen the olympic uh, runs or other runs somebody will cut off somebody else and they'll fall down it's like who cut in on you to stop you from running this particular race and then in first timothy 1 18 says timothy my son i give you instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight there you have the boxing thing and the boxing was also in the olympics going way back it's always been something and i always liked a, a good fight when i remember muhammad ali Uh, He was just fantastic in the way that he would fight and his reach and the taunting that he would do. It it, it was a good fight that he would be involved in. And that's what Paul tells Timothy to do is fight the good fight in 1 Timothy 4, 7. 
He says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And he says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things. So he's saying, you know, work out. So Paul was probably fit. He liked sports. He would like to see those types of activities. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, he says here, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So there again, he says, fight the good fight. Now, some might say, well, that's a metaphor for a soldier, but it was also in keeping with the boxing metaphors or the Olympic or the sports metaphors that he has used before. And uh, the boxing thing in First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, he says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. So he's tying the sports uh, metaphors together. And by the way, Boxing was added to the ancient Greek Olympic Games in the 23rd Olympiad in the year 688 B.C. So that was before Christ. So boxing was a thing, and it has been around a long time. Men like to pummel each other in the face and see if they can knock each other out. And, you know, there's something about us. We, we want to compete. And then he says, take hold. Now, I used to wrestle. I I enjoyed it a lot, and I don't know if you've watched any wrestling matches, but there is the quote-unquote Greco-Roman style of wrestling, and it can be just brutal. I mean, you can break bones. I was in a tournament once up at Palomar College, and the gymnasium that they had there had had a geodesic dome over it, and inside was the insulation, and if you were on one side, you could speak softly, and you could hear it on the other side because of the acoustics in there. And there were about six mats on the floor, and everybody's wrestling in this tournament, and all of a sudden, you just hear this huge, loud snap, as loud as it could be, and you go, everybody just stopped, and we said, what was that? And you look over in this mat, and this guy, he was probably 176 pounds, his ankle was broken. It snapped in the middle of the wrestling match, and everybody heard it, and he tried to get up, and his ankle was just dangling. It was a terrible sight to see, but it is just the strength of individuals getting in there, and he says, take hold. And, you know, they would train us in wrestling how to take hold of somebody. Like there's the, um, the pull-through where you grab the wrist and you go up to the, the underneath the arm and you shuck them by and you get in behind them and there's fireman's carries and there's a full Nelson. There's all these different moves that you can do. There's the switch and you learn these different moves and you're grappling. Remember there's a wrestler in the Old Testament. Who is he? Jacob. Jacob was the wrestler in the Old Testament, wrestled with God, and he was pretty good. He probably had the double arm bar. You know, he's doing all these moves on Jesus. I think it was a Christophany that showed up, and he he was good at it. And Paul is telling Timothy, take hold of eternal life. It is not something that you hold on loosely, but you take hold of that life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so we are to actively pursue. When we would do the wrestling, you could tell there was a word, derogatory word, that uh, some of the people on the wrestling team came up with that would describe somebody who just wouldn't put in the effort. And they were called a fish, is what they were called. They would get on the mat, and, and they would get on their back, and they'd try to keep from being pinned, and they would flail and flap and they would try to keep from losing the match and so they were called a fish they weren't actually pursuing or trying to counter what was going on and paul is telling timothy here actively pursue don't just lay there like a dry sponge on a plate of water we're not supposed to do that now in connection with our resting in christ that would apply But when it comes to pursuing Christ and laying hold of eternal life, we are to be active. We are not to be sponges, especially when it comes to the public confession of faith. We are not to be passive participants uh, in the act of pursuing eternal life. So uh, have you ever had a conflict where you know you should read or study or pray or fellowship and your flesh says no? I don't know about you, but I struggle with this all the time. I'll go to work and I usually listen all day. 
to different things, but mostly I try to get in either the word or get in messages or YouTube teachings, things like that. And there are times where I can feel myself. I, I just say to myself, no, don't do that. Don't listen to that. My flesh doesn't want to hear it. My flesh wants to do something else. And Paul says he buffets his body to bring it into conformity. And we are supposed to do that as well. We are supposed to control the impulses of the flesh to where we can grab hold of eternal life and do so actively. In 9.27 of 1 Corinthians, he says, No, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. And so he is in an active pursuit of killing, metaphorically, the body. So Timothy was called to eternal life here, predestination and election. He says, to which you were called. I'll read it again. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so he was definitely called by God. He was predestined to be saved. He was elected to be saved. All of those are doctrines in the scripture. And Timothy made a good confession as well. So he had a part in this. Now, if you go through the Calvinist thinking, they would say, you have no part in this whatsoever, and they call faith and it work, and it's just pretty complicated. But the idea is just know that you have to exercise faith in Scripture. You are the one that has to say, I agree. I want to follow God. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. But God also predestines us. And that is clear in what Paul is saying about Timothy here. So both is true. Timothy was elected. He was predestined. And he chose by confessing. In verse 13 of chapter 6, it says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So Paul reminds Timothy, he has an obligation, uh, as all of us do, to serve the creator who gave him life. If we don't feel that we have to move forward in our walk with Christ and be obedient to him, I would question, well, are you really even saved? The Holy Spirit works in us to motivate us, to move us forward, to do the things he is destined for us to do since the foundations of the earth. And so what is it that Jesus was testifying to before Pontius Pilate? Well, there were several things uh, that he was a king in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. It says, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. He also bore testimony to the sovereignty of God in John chapter 19, verse 11, when he's before Pilate. Jesus answered, said, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And so Paul tells us Jesus gave a good confession to Jesus Christ, or to Pontius Pilate, about God the Father and who he is. He testified about God. We are also supposed to testify about God. Paul was talking about Timothy with the good confession of faith he made, just like the confession Jesus Christ made, just like the confession we are supposed to make whenever we come in contact with somebody if we're with them long enough they need to know that we are believers they need to know that we follow jesus christ that he is king that he is lord over all and so paul does make this comparison with the confession of jesus and timothy and his own confession he goes on to say i charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our lord jesus christ which god will bring about in his own time well what command is he referring to here fight the good fight and take hold of eternal life in other words be engaged don't disengage if we are attending church on Sunday, wonderful, that's great. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is a habit of some and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be engaged. And if we refuse to engage, we are not being faithful servants to Jesus Christ. And so as Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight, we are to fight the good fight. <clears throat> when I grew up, my father got us boxing gloves. 
There were four, four boys in our house. There were four boys across the street. And he would give us the boxing gloves and he'd say, okay, put them on. And I was young at the time and I didn't want to get hurt. You know, and, and so the gloves are on and you, you try to duck and you try to get in a good punch every once in a while. And here we are in their neighborhood, in the front yard with boxing gloves on. We're all standing around and just beat the stuffing out of each other out there. It was kind of fun. You know, we go, oh, you know, somebody got a good hit in there and, and it, it's fighting, but we don't want to get hurt. If Timothy says, fight the good fight, take the gloves off. And I mean that in a way that we oppose those who teach false doctrine. We stand up against every entity that sets itself against God. We do not shy back away from that. If we're wrestling, you know, they would tell us in wrestling, do the first move. Get in there. And there's a couple of tricks that we would do. Like, for instance, you, you have this stance, you get down like this, you know, and your feet are separated and your hands are before you. And one of the things they taught us to do was take the guy off guard. You slap him first and then you go for the legs and you do that quickly. And then you rush in and get behind him and you get control and you get two points. And, and that's how it's supposed to work. We strategize how we're supposed to fight the good fight or take hold of eternal life. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not simply supposed to, by osmosis, take in the word of God and say, that's all I need to do. It's wonderful. I'll listen to these messages. We have to have an outlet for this. We have to have a way where we are ministering to others, giving them the gospel, correcting false doctrine, engaging in the fight, and grabbing hold of eternal life. All of those things we are supposed to be engaged in. And if we're just going to church on Sunday, we're not doing that. Need to be engaged in learning more constantly maturing it is something that never ends i can remember i I did this for some reason in elementary school i hated it when i was in elementary school i looked out the window one morning and i think it was in either mrs kellogg's or mrs hess's class second or third grade and i was looking out the window and i told myself to remember this time it's blue sky out there one day i will not be in here and this will be over I'll be done with this. And I was looking forward to having that just pass away where I didn't have to be in school anymore. But once I graduated and became a believer, I became enthralled with learning. I I needed to learn more. I got excited about the learning and I, I just wanted to gain more knowledge, not so that I could be puffed up, but so that I could be built up on the inside, just be able to live life and That's what God wants us to have, too, is that same attitude that we should be enthralled with learning more about him. But we have the flesh that comes along and says no. And Paul says, I'm going to beat my body down to make sure that it conforms to the image of Christ. And you are going to learn this. And so it's a constant battle. But that's where we're supposed to go. We're supposed to have that good confession of Jesus Christ being obedient to the Father, just as Timothy was obedient in his confession of God. Jesus was obedient in his confession of the Father. So this command is fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life. And for how long are we supposed to do this? Forever. We're not supposed to give up on it. I know some people who have been believers that gave up. They just said, no, that, that was for a time in my life. And I've just given up. I'm not going to continue with this fight for eternal life so as long as we are alive we're supposed to be doing this now the purpose for doing this is not based on pleasing any man or any woman it's not to please anyone around you it is to please god the father so paul charged timothy to perform and it is implied no matter what comes your way no matter how difficult it is We're to make sure that we keep on persevering and going forward. He goes on to say, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. When I was in seminary and we had to write these papers, they said, we don't want you guys to write something like scripture and explain it and then say, amen. 
Don't be doing that. And here it is in Scripture where Paul is talking about God himself and who he is, the only sovereign, the only potentate, the only king, the only ruler. And he says, amen. He is the all-powerful, immortal, highest ruler of the universe and beyond all creation and beyond this physical creation. And I want you to recall also that Timothy, he was sickly. He probably was easily intimidated. He was weak in his composition, more than likely mentally. And yet God chose him to pastor Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a bustling city. It was a port city that was there. And Alexander, he conquered it. And the Persians conquered it. And there were all kinds of commerce going through there. It, it contained one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple to Artemis or Diana, which was there. Um, one time it was burned down and they built it back even bigger. It was huge. And Demetrius, who was a silversmith that was there, was complaining that Paul was ruining their trade of making these goddesses uh, to Diana, these these figurines. And they would sell them. The silversmith would sell them. And so there was a riot that broke out. And Paul was saved by the leaders of the city at that time. And it, it was just, it was a huge city. Lots of people came in there all the time. And here you have this humble, timid, sickly Timothy that goes in there and he's not this powerful leader. He's not one that, that stood head and shoulders above everybody else. When you looked at him, he was probably gaunt or thin a little bit. And he probably was soft spoken and God goes, that's my man. That's the one I want. And Paul, you can tell he's constantly encouraging Timothy, stand up, fight the good fight and wrestle and take hold and do all of these things. He goes, okay. You know, you, you could just see what's going on there. Now, I hope I haven't mischaracterized him, but I'm, I'm gleaning the information that Paul has already told us, that he was sickly. And I, I don't know if he was a mama's boy as well. It, it, we aren't told that he was taught by his father. He was taught by his mother and grandmother. And so he was under their tutelage. So I, I don't know what kind of character this guy was. But it would seem that he, he wouldn't have been chosen as a leader in the world's eyes. But God said, no, that's who I want. And he's the one that is going to be effective. And so uh, with all this, Paul is constantly encouraging him in his pursuit of God and the ministry to which he is called. Met, Ephesus being the metropolitan city, thousands of people, a port city, the seven wonders of the world. That was wonderful. One of them. And God said to Timothy, you are the man for the job. And there's hope for us in this as well. You think you're lacking? I want to encourage you. You are. And God wants us not to depend on ourselves. He wants us to depend on him and what he has for us. By our weaknesses being made manifest, that's when he's made strong. When we think we are strong, then God can't use us as well. And he goes on really to address this in one form with those who are wealthy. In verse 17, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so God, he wants us to enjoy life, but he does not want us to be dependent on our wealth. Just think about it for a moment. You work for an organization. I know that, uh, I remember Buzz, I think he had to retire from the Border Patrol at age 57. They do not allow you to carry a firearm, apparently, after that age in a governmental agency, and so you have to retire. So up until that time, you store away money, and you wait to retire, and you draw on that money after you retire. Now, Retirement is not really a, a biblical principle that is there. It's something that we can take advantage of in our society. And I think for many, it is wonderful. But when it comes to serving Jesus Christ in the gospel, we are never to retire. It goes on forever. When does this end? It doesn't end. 
And so those that have a lot of wealth in this world, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, when you have a lot of money or when you think you have a lot of money, you become comfortable and you don't rely on God as much. We know that in the Old Testament, you give me neither riches nor poverty, uh, riches that I might forget you and poverty that I might steal and blaspheme or uh, make your name of no effect amongst those who are heathens. And so God knows that there are problems with the wealth and he's given instruction through Paul here for Timothy, timid Timothy, to talk to those who are wealthy and to instruct them. Now, those who are wealthy, they can be so confident in their wealth that they become arrogant, that they can't have anything stop them whatsoever. They're not, they're not worried about the problems in the world because they have wealth. I, I know that uh, a lot of the wealthy people I used to work for a very wealthy individual and they put at that particular time, they put a lot of money into gold stocks and they just went through the roof and they made even more money. And I worked for somebody who sold their business for $400 million. It was an internet business and they lived in La Jolla and, you know, they, they just had tons of money and they tried to keep their name out of uh, different places of prominence because they wanted to live a private life and all that is great and they had the power to do that and they had the power to be anonymous they put their trust in their wealth and what they were able to do and what they were able to accomplish and god says don't do that don't get to the point where you are arrogant and think that you don't need god because of your wealth because well, why we all die and what happens with the wealth that we accumulate it goes somewhere else and, and you know there is the abuse of wealth which is out there and a lot of times wealth is used to spend upon ourselves. Of course, that's why we have the wealth to enjoy life. But some people go to excess. They go well beyond excess and they, they have everything under the sun. They have maybe houses on several continents. They have boats. They have cars. They have warehouses full of cars. They, they have servants. They have all kinds of things and they're making their life wonderful here but it's not doing much for the life that is to come and so the accumulation of wealth it leads to arrogance and if we have enough of it we become confident we become confident that we don't have to worry about anything for instance if you know the right people i know somebody who got covid and they have a little bit of wealth uh, and they know somebody in a particular state that is in the high-ranking office off of the governor. And they ended up contacting the person in Texas in the governor's realm that was able to call a doctor over here to get them ivermectin prescribed. Where if you go and try to get ivermectin for the most part... Here, you're probably going to be turned down in the pharmacy if they ask you, is this for COVID? And that's a whole nother discussion why people would do that. But people with wealth or connections with the wealthy or the connections with the powerful and the influential, they don't worry about that stuff. They just have these avenues in which they can go to get what they want or to get what they need. But the wealth, it is so uncertain we don't know that we're not going to have it tomorrow. You know, we're going to uh, places like Bay St. Louis and going to New Jersey and going to Houston and working on these houses that had been destroyed by the hurricanes uh, that were there and some, even the cedar fire that we had here. Everything that you have could be burnt up just like that and it could be destroyed just like that. The house could be totally wiped away and if you had money in a safe or something like that. It could have been washed away. And I remember seeing boats, big boats, up in the trees, 30 feet high. And they're just stuck in the trees because the water level got so high. And the wealth of the, all the possessions that they had, it were just gone, completely gone. Uh, same thing in New Jersey. The whole stretch of houses just wiped out. Even some of the foundations were gone. 
or the, the basements, how they had sand and water swirl on the inside and we had to remove all the sand and all the possessions that were there and be careful to try to preserve those for the people. And so everything that we have can be lost in just a moment. It, it doesn't take any time whatsoever. <clears throat> and so if you think that your wealth might be secure, you should think again. I want to give you some information here concerning COVID and the Vax Verify portal. I don't know if you know about this. But <clears throat> identity, identity authentication on the Vax Verify portal is done using a one-time verification process through the financial credit score company Experian. If you get the vaccine, you can register or they will register you in Experian. Now, why in the world would Experian have anything to do with getting a vaccine? <clears throat> you know, if you said, well, what about ATF? If ATF got the information, why would they get the information on the vaccine? Uh, to see if you're authorized or not to own a firearm, maybe? That could be something like that. Or what about the IRS? Well, if you got a vaccine or not, maybe your taxes go up, maybe they don't. Well, what about Experian, which is a credit score company? They are handling it. Well, if you get the vaccine, you have a good credit score. If you are not listed on Experian, maybe your credit score isn't so high. And the next time you want to get a loan, uh, you're probably denied for the loan. That's why they're using Experian. They're talking about this. <clears throat> and the people who are talking about it, <clears throat> excuse me, they are politicians, government officials, health authorities, media personalities, and all kinds of regular or common citizens are suggesting that we make life untenable for the unvaccinated. Now, how is this going to happen? There's a list of things that they have proposed. Requiring them to get tested daily at their own expense. Docking their paychecks. This happens with, uh, or it's happening with Delta. Delta is going to start charging their employees, I think it's $200 every paycheck if they are not vaccinated, if they work for Delta. Charging them non-refundable quarantine fees. If you have to be quarantined because you got the virus and you were not vaccinated, you could be charged for that. Denying them medical care at hospitals and private medical offices. If you don't have the Vax Verify that Experian is keeping a record of, it is suggested that you are not allowed to go to the doctor. Already, somebody who is an advocate for you cannot go to the doctor with you. But right now, they are proposing that you cannot go to the doctor if you're not vaccinated. Or they can do this. They're proposing this. Canceling their private insurance or raising premiums by thousands of dollars a year. They have also suggested suspending their gun permits, suspending their driver's license, denying access to loans, which I just mentioned, withholding government assistance, withholding federal benefits like Social Security, VA benefits, subsidized housing and pensions, barring them from bars and restaurants, barring them from exercise facilities and hotels, barring them from buying food in grocery stores, barring them from using public transportation and traveling on airplanes. You think that you have your wealth secured? There is another report out that deals with the restricting of your banking that they might not allow you access to your funds if you do not have the Vax Verify, which is out there. And so all those, all those, these things here, it's not a certain reality. It's being discussed. And in some of these, it has already been implemented. And it wouldn't be the first time of persecution and the confiscation of wealth by a government. 
we have this listed in the Bible actually taking place. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accept the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. They took their homes because they were Christians. Now, a lot of the people that are not receiving the vaccine, they are conservative by nature. They, a lot of them are Christians. Some Christians have taken it, and that's fine. And, and if you've taken it, well, I, I'm not going to say, well, what are you going to do now? You don't know. If you've taken it, you probably are at risk, and it's probably going to save your life if you are in the high-risk category. Well, that's good for you. But there are those who say, no, I'm never going to get it, and it's going to kill me. And, and, well, okay, well, that's good for you. And the debate rages back and forth. And Dr. McCullough, as I mentioned previously, he gives you what to do if you're in either case. He says, if, if you've had the vaccine and you get it, and they're probably the Delta variant, he goes, this is what you do. This is how you take care of yourself. And if you don't have the vaccine, this is how, what you do. This is how you take care of yourself. And, and so that's good. We have that information, and that will lead us into safety, Lord willing. But even though these things that they want to impose, these suggestions, they are not certain. They're something that could easily come about and confiscating bank accounts or houses or things like that. We already know, I read an article the other day, a woman, a veteran, lost her home and is homeless because she could not evict a tenant. And because she did not have income, she was not able to pay the mortgage. Because she was not able to pay the mortgage, she got evicted. And and so that's because government is doing that purposely. Now, government is good in the right context. God has set up governments around the world to help us. But then there is also the evil side that comes in. And so we want to be aware of that. And if we have wealth and we think that it couldn't just disappear overnight, we are deceiving ourselves. And God says... For those who are rich in this life, let them be rich in good deeds. In verse 18, it says this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, keep in mind, Timothy a gangly youth he is a young man sickly a little bit he's going to the wealthy and the powerful and he's telling them how to use their money how do you think that they are receiving that probably not so well but yet god called him to do that the task that god gives us to do they're going to be difficult we're going to resist them we're going to say I don't want to do that. I might be rejected. I might be looked down upon. and I might suffer under that. I, I might be ridiculed. All of that is not good. And Paul says, perfect for Timothy. God says, it's perfect for Timothy. You can do this. And he, he does the really the hoorah. And not to worry about the things of this life. We are to fear the one who does not kill or not fear the one who kills the body but fear the one who can kill the body and soul and that would be god himself and so we are to command those who are rich those who are wealthy to have a lot of good deeds and this is really delayed gratification you know what that is you save you save you save and you're able to buy a house or you're able to buy a car or you're able to buy gifts for somebody or you're able to share with those who are out there and you see the joy on their faces this is delayed gratification the bible says the fool spins all that he has and so the lord has let us know that if we have any kind of wealth, we're to be generous with that wealth and as well with our time. We're not supposed to spend our whole life just getting rich, getting rich, getting rich, and then we die. What's the point of that? We are to extend ourselves in such a way to others for their benefit. So, And that is delayed gratification where we save up something for somebody else. We see the joy in their face and, and their face and, and how they feel about what we have done. And that is spreading really by extension the gospel. We get to tell them why we're doing it. We're doing this because we serve Jesus Christ. 
So it, it's like paying it forward or sending it on ahead. And we are storing up for our, ourselves treasures in heaven. First Corinthians chapter 3 talks about wood, hands, double gold, silver, and precious stones. And, of course, our works will be tested. And that's referring to our works. And the wood, hand, stubble are things that we've done for ourselves. And the gold, silver, and precious stones are works that will last that we did for Christ here. And when we move on, we get to take nothing with us. You know, I've contemplated in the past, well, what's going on with the government? And would the Lord have me move out of state? Does he want me here? Does he want me to remain? I'm going to do whatever he calls me to do. If he says, stay here and it gets really bad and you don't have a bank account anymore and you got to barter for everything. Okay, well, that's where God wants me. But then I would think, well, what if he wants me to leave? What would I do? Would I sell everything that I have? Would I just grab it all and say, Lord, you told me where to go and I'm going. Is that what I would do? Would I just get rid of everything that I had? If the Lord said do so, I would do so. We're to have a light touch on the things in this life. And if he says abandon it all, we're supposed to abandon it all. If we're supposed to save it up for the use of others, we're supposed to save it up for the use of others. But whatever he commands us, we're to make sure that we follow through with it. So we are to command the rich to do good and be rich in good deeds and be generous. And we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven if we do that. And when we send that on ahead, we will have a rich entry into heaven. If we never participate in helping others or in providing actual money, cold, hard cash to those who are in need and those who are truly in need. I don't think that we should uh, operate without wisdom in that particular area because we can actually enable somebody uh, not to change if we constantly feed them. And I've talked about that before or constantly give them money <clears throat> if they are able to provide for themselves. But if we do that, we have a rich reward in heaven. We're kind of sending it ahead. That's where the delayed gratification is. We do without here. And so when we get to heaven, we are rewarded there. So in Timothy, or excuse me, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. He goes on to say, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. And so here he is saying that everything that has been entrusted to your care, the teaching, the guarding against the false doctrine, the instruction to the wealthy, the holding on to the eternal faith, the fighting the good fight, he is supposed to actively do all of those things. Now, Paul has reminded Timothy of several things over First Timothy that he is supposed to be engaged in. And, and if we give ourselves to it, it takes a lot of time, but that is our service to Christ and he doesn't want us to be so wrapped up in the world that we're paying attention to the things of the world and acting like people of the world he wants to be wants us to be sanctified and set apart now, there is a possibility that we would be distracted from following God wholeheartedly if we don't give ourselves to these particular pursuits and Timothy was warned against it and we are to train ourselves against pulling back <clears throat> when my daughter, who takes care of uh, my newborn grandson, she doesn't have an option whether or not to get up if he only sleeps an hour or two hours, feed him, change him. And it is tiring. I know that at times she is exhausted. Uh, she does work, but she hasn't gone back to work yet. She's taking care of two little ones, her and her husband. And it's hard. And at times, the Christian walk can not only be hard but it can cause us to die you take those people in burma and afghanistan and in china that are being persecuted for your faith and previously in cambodia and vietnam and everywhere else around the world it's just it's just a miserable existence for some and look at us we are the wealthiest nation that has ever existed on the face of the earth and we are so distracted that it's difficult for us to really focus on following Christ because we have so much. And now we have phones. And you can look at the phones and you can look at the computers and everything that is on there. And we can just waste our time or be concerned about becoming an influencer and getting millions of followers. There's so many things that can distract us. 
And God says to Timothy, pay attention. Focus on what you're supposed to do. Take hold of eternal life. Grab hold of that and fight the good fight. So how do we apply all this? You know, I was thinking about last week's message. What did people go away with last week's message? I can tell you because I heard it afterwards. Don't eat hot dogs. Because if you eat a hot dog, 36 minutes will be taken off your life. And I had some people say, I'm a walking dead man. That's who I am. And when I was getting that together, the only thing that I thought about, and I've done this a few times over the past few years, where I, uh, past year, where I went into 7-Eleven and I got the big bite and I put the chili on it and I put all the fixings and I go, oh, it's so good, you know, and I'd sit in my truck and I just mack that thing down. Mm. Oh, minus 36 minutes. Now it's what I have to think about. But you know, in that same study, and by the way, it came up again in the news that I was listening to this last week. I don't know if some of you heard that. But you can cancel out the hot dog if you eat Brussels sprouts and asparagus and broccoli and all of those things. And, and so I just want to let you know, most people walked away with hot dogs last week. They didn't walk away with what the bulk of the message was about. Now, what are we supposed to walk away with today? It's not going to be about food. It's do what is right, fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life, be active in pursuing it. That's what we are supposed to do as believers. And we are also to follow through, have this at the forefront of our mind, follow through with our obligation to Christ. Now, this was for Timothy, who was a pastor, But it also applies to us as well. We are to make sure that we are following through with our obligation. Why are we obligated to God? Because he saved us. He gave us eternal life. Do we owe him anything? Yes, we owe him our lives. And then trust in the one and only true God who rules over all. There are no other gods. There is only one God. All the other religions are false. And I know the world would say, well, that is awful bigoted. You just think you're right, don't you? No, I think God is right. He's the one that said it. He's the one that has prophesied all these things that are taking place. He's the one that prophesied in the past that those things would take place and they did come to fruition. He's the one that is faithful and true. So God said that. I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you what God said. You can accept Or you can reject that, but we're to trust in the one who is the only true God who rules over all. And do not trust in wealth and possessions in this life. If somebody took your house, if somebody took your bank account, would you joyfully accept that? That's what I just read to you in Hebrews. I mean, if they, if they pulled, put a hold on your bank account, or if they took money out of your bank account, the government did, Would you just go, oh, that's fine. My hair would catch on fire. You know, if, if I had that happen, that is not yours. And, you know, during the Obama years, I, I spoke about this at the time. They passed laws that if you were growing vegetables in your yard, they have the ability to come take them. How would you feel about that? You'd talk about something like a Ruger or something like that to take care of that. You see, and it's over food, but that's where this could go. Now, will it go there? I I don't know. I've already read to you those who have suggested what they could do to get people to be vaccinated. And I know a couple people right now that are just struggling with that. They're going to lose their job if they don't get vaccinated. And that is terrible. In this country, that is a terrible thing. We can be adults. We can choose if you would rather get the COVID and have a 99.998% chance of surviving it. And children, I think, are even higher. Well, that's your choice. If you want to get the uh, vaccine, that's your choice. It's okay. Uh, If that's what you choose to do, nobody should be telling you what you can and can't do in this country. But there is this idea of making you submissive to the governing authorities in such a way that it affects you in a a, a terrible way. 
And that's where we're headed, where they want to control everybody, not to go against Romans chapter 13, because Romans chapter 13 tells us to be submissive to the governing authorities. But we are to make sure that we do not give up the freedoms that have been given to us uh, in this country because Christ died to set us free. So what are we going to walk away with here? Do what is right. Fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life. Follow through in your obligation with Christ. Trust in the one and only true God who rules over you. Do not trust in wealth and possessions of this life. And finally, oppose false doctrine because it can lead an individual away from Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not only for Timothy, who is a pastor, but for us as well. We should have our antenna up whenever we hear false doctrine. Be able to refute that soundly from God's word. Make sure we have a biblical worldview. Make sure we're not adopting the ways of the world. And Paul says if we do this, we know that if we watch our life and doctrine closely, we'll save not only ourselves but our hearers as well. And that's what Paul told Timothy. And so if we're watching our holiness, if we're watching our sanctification, if we're watching our doctrine, if we're watching how we serve Christ, if we're watching how we love each other, then that is the recipe for fulfilling our obligation to God. My prayer for you is that you're able to do this and fight the good fight against your own flesh. Like I said, I I struggle with that. Just, yeah, I should be in the Word. Yeah, I should be listening to this. Yeah, I should be praying. And my flesh says, no, don't do it. Take a nap instead. Naps are our friend. And I, I struggle with that. You know, stay awake. You see the president fell asleep when meeting with somebody from Israel right there in the chair right across the room. <clears throat> stay awake. We need to stay awake and be sober. That's my encouragement to you. God will give you the strength to do so. And he will give you the ability to fight against the world and to fight against the flesh and fulfill what he has called us to do. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You've been so faithful to us to show us the direction which we are to head. How we're to fight the good fight, be involved, be athletic in a spiritual sense, so to speak. Not being complacent, not being just a sponge who soaks up everything around us. But, Lord, do help us to rest in you, not to strive, not to be worried about what lies ahead. For we know we have a better and lasting possession in heaven. And we praise you for it. We long for that day when we will be united with you in glory. In Jesus' name. And the church said, please stand.